welcome to another lavish London cupboard, although we've been nudged up a bit more of a penthouse this week for uh, episode two of the podcast people are already describing as okay enough and probably not for me. Um, this is Podular Stand, that's the podcast of the almost award-winning fanzine Popular Stand, so yeah, Podular Stand, Popular Stand, yeah, you, you get what we're doing there. And as we managed to get through episode one without setting fire to anything, we, we've reunited the original cast, so my name's Glenn Wilson, editor of Popular Stand. And I'm joined by editor of the London Economic, Jack Pete. Jack, you all right? Hello, how are you? I'm very well, thanks. Nice of you to ask. <laughs> uh, and also with us is former deputy editor of Games Master magazine, James McMahon. I'm all, I'm all right with that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm all right with that. Yeah. You, you weren't happy last time. So I no, no, it's, it. no, mix it up, you know, mix it up. Um, and now I've mentioned Games Master magazine, I have to ask, uh, did you get to meet Sir Patrick Moore? Uh, I didn't. But yeah. you're not the first person to have asked that. No, no. Well, it's, it's anonymous, isn't it? It's anonymous. Um, so that's intro's done. James is happy, so we can we can crack on and, and start. We'll start by just talking about uh, Rovers' recent form, because obviously, despite marching gallantly towards League One, as we last time as well, we've had Rovers have suffered a bit of a setback on Saturday with a disastrous defeat at Blackpool. Um, and it's got a few people talking, and it was it's, a few people have mentioned this during the season. I think go back to the game we're all at but we all saw it at Luton as well and that's Rovers tendency to just capitulate a bit at the back and, and the defensive failings um, and the, the key debate amongst fans it seems certainly be well between fans and Dan Ferguson almost is whether Rovers are out to go three at the back or, or four at the back either of you got any any strong feelings either way or strong thoughts on that? Well, I, th- I thought that the, the, the Blackpool game in particular was a bit of an anomaly, really. I mean, I can remember st- we were stood together, actually, at one of these non-league games, and um, second half kicks off, you look at your phone and you say, 4-1. And, um, and uh, it was, where did that come from, kind of thing, you know? So, um, yeah, absolutely, we've got defensive frailties, and I thought that we can expect to get promoted comfortably if we have a score more... Than, men, than, than mentality. Um, although, I've got to say, it does sort of seem to be the norm for the league. You know, you see Plymouth, they're shipping goals as well. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, the take-on from me is it's definitely a league for uh, both teams to score, Aka. But other than that, I don't know what it means really so far. Yeah, see, so look, look at the table. There's only, there's only four teams in the entire division that have conceded more than Doncaster after after 14 games and, and neither of those are the bottom two teams it's worth worth mentioning as well and like I say some of them are right up there like uh, Notts County are in the playoffs now you've, I know James you've said before like Ferguson from his time at Peterborough it was very much uh, we're going to try and score more than them yeah I mean I don't know I am torn between uh, not wanting another season in League 2 so therefore, you know, promotion is imperative. Mm. I think everyone at the club would say that. Uh, but also, it was such a depressing goal drought last season that I feel a little bit like, you know, kind of earlier on in the season, Fergie was sort of, some of his uh, post-match interviews were talking about how sometimes they should just play, you know, they should just play for the win. They should just, mm. play. They should, just, they should, they should, not push on, you know, mm. like they should just try and get the three points. On the other hand, I, I love the way he plays football. Like I think it's, <laughs> I think it's the way football should be played. So there, there is something more pleasing, pleasing. I'm, I suppose William, but more more entertaining in turning up to a game each week and not knowing what you're going to get, rather than 
what it felt like for a lot of turn up games in League One. This is going to be a horrible one nil home defeat where the opposition take twenty minutes over every set piece from ten minutes in. I mean, I feel the most you know as a fan, I feel the most engaged with Rovers that you know probably having you know three seasons really, and I, I mean that's largely due to you know we've made a good start, but also the football have been playing. Yeah, like you know it, it excites me, and I feel like. Rovers have an identity again. Or admittedly, that may well be, you know, have a go against us, you might get a couple of goals. But <laughs> it is the fact that, you know, we've got goals in us, like, we've got, you know, full of attacking options. I, I, the thing that surprises me a little bit is it has to be, it has to be down to coaching for me because I don't think, I don't think they're bad players who are no. in the back. So that kind of surprises me. I mean, you know, I read some stat about how, uh, Rovers made the most interceptions in the top half of the pitch, you know. So it's all about getting the ball forward, and mm. I thought that was like really interesting. And obviously, that is you know it's been worked on. That doesn't just happen by accident. But I do think when you look at the players we've got at the back, um, there's enough there. Isn't there? Yeah, That's totally. The yeah, yeah. I think the concern for a lot of fans, and I say this from you know having doing what I always do before we do one of these, which is scan reading the forums and, and trying to get an idea of what, what people are thinking, those who are attending more games than we are, which I think is fair. Darren Ferguson seems set on wanting to play a back three wing back. Since since he's joined the club, even sort of last season when he first came in, that seems to be his way of thinking. And there has been, it's, it's easy to go, it's not working because we lost on Saturday when we started that way. But there has been spells when it's, it's looked quite promising. I, I think in games I've watched, I think the worry is that he's trying to play a system that he hasn't necessarily got the players for at the moment. And it's, it's should you should you play to what you've got or should you try and get what you've got into the system if you think that's the right way of playing? I feel like Ferguson's been wrestling with that for now for about a year and a half. Yeah, perhaps. I think from an entertainment value, the bottom line is that that is simply the uh, formation that's most conducive to a, a, a decent game of football and and a, and a nice style as well um, yeah 4-4-2 four, four, is a nice safe option mm. um, and it, it can also be conducive to good football but I think that actually I think that what I'm saying is that maybe after a year and a half give him some chance as well you know I, yeah. I think that we're still, still still there to be proved it's still early in this season um, we've, we've had a, a lot of movement of players and things like that mm. But um, what I'm really encouraged by is is, is that, that we potentially, on their day, have got a great spine in the squad. I think that that sort of Butler, Cops, uh, you know, um, uh, Williams sort of spine is is, is, is solid. Mm. That gives you some, some of the security that a 442 might bring. And then, you know, I'm happy playing um, uh, uh, wingers because, because that's... that's that's good football for me. Mm. I think I, I completely agree with uh, what James was saying earlier. And I think that's the, the, the formation that supports that best. I think one of the, the worries for, for either formation, whether it be, it be it 3-5-2, or 4-4-2, four, four, whatever you want to lay it out, is the strength at fullback. I know obviously there's players missing. You've got Alcock, who's, who's out at the moment. You've got uh, Mitchell Lund, who's now out for, for quite a period of time. Um, Tyler Garrett as well, who's who's out injured, uh, having not seen much of him. Um, the player who's been there throughout and has always been there, and, and I have to say, looked very good when we first went to three five two. It looked like the player, the formation for him is, is Cedric Avina, and he's kind of reached that point now where he's 
he's become a bit of a scapegoat yeah. for, for our performances. And I think it's ever since that, that moment at Bristol City last season, last season or season before, when he decided to just sort of look at a football on the goal line and mull over the, com, you know, contemplate the well, utility of existence rather than putting it into, into LZ. Yeah, well, that's a classic trait of, of his, I think. Um, I've got a friend who's a Charlton fan, and when I first talked about the fact that he was coming to us, he's... He sort of just, you know, smirked and said quite, you know, quite disconcertingly that he was by far the worst uh, player mm. that played for Charlton. So I was like, oh, put it out. So, yeah, indeed, yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, actually, for me, I, I, I've, I've seen him on several occasions and, and thought he's not a bad player. Mm. He's just got a tendency to make some hideous, hideous mistakes. Yeah. And they keep cropping up. It, Potentially, because I know you touched on this in the fanzine, James, and it, it could really be with Avina a, a case of sort of confidence and, and being sort of labelled that scapegoat now that he can't get out of that spiral in a way. I mean, yeah, like there's two ways of looking at it. One of them is that, you know, 24, probably, you know, he probably should have sorted out some of the, the obvious kinks in his play. Yeah. But, you know, by the other measure, like, you know, 24, like, you haven't quite worked out exactly who you are either, you know, <laughs> yeah. like, and I just think sometimes fans. Like you almost kind of like forget, you know, kind of like what's beneath the skin of these people. Mm. I think that um, just on that defensive tip, and it's sort of slightly taking it uh, off from Cedric, but yeah. I might be doing him a favour because um, <laughs> I do because I do like him. By the way, yeah, I, yeah. I guess my point with Cedric Avina is a bit like if you're a, if you're a football fan of like if you've watched Rovers for like twenty years, thirty years, like you know he isn't he's a different kind of fullback. You know, mm. like he's a you know. He's not. He's not Tim Ryan. Basically. He's a post Ashley Cole fullback. You know what I mean? He's <laughs> yeah. like, you know, he came through. He, you know, he came out of Arsenal. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Um, so I think that you know, if you are kind of grumpy old fan, you're a bit like, why can't you defend? And it's almost like fullbacks don't. That's not really kind of like the first thing that they do anymore. Yeah, that's true. Um, I think on the formation, I think that it's not so much about. I think the. I just think we almost have to accept that this that under Fergie, we, like we're not gonna we're not gonna win games one 0 Like I just yeah, think it's, yeah, that's, that's that. And I think that the formation is more about how can you utilize like the attacking talent you have, mm. as opposed to actually what you can do to shore up the back. So I think, for example, like you know, Cops has had such freedom this season. Yeah, like four four two doesn't work for him. Mm. You know, like that kind of like role that kind of freedom he's got don't work for him yeah. so for me like it's a bit of a mute point really I feel like I feel like Fergie would definitely have to put his hand up and say this is his team now this means yeah, how many yeah. players have come in and I think that uh, on their day that it's proved that they can play that system and it is you know it's just as conducive to you know more exciting attacking football but it would be nice to know that he had a it would be nice to know he had a plan B yeah I don't. I don't really think even actually in the personnel that are in the club, there is a plan B really. Yeah. Um, that will change when McSheffrey comes back. That's true. I you completely forgot he was even a Rovers player. I mean, I mean, starts a few like that. Um, just on Coppage, you mentioned him perhaps not getting the, the freedom in a four four two, and I think to I know what you're saying. So yeah, I think he has had a little bit of freedom in that formation this season because they've played more of a diamond. Mm. But I think that has the other effect then where you're trying to then crowbar Tommy Rowe into a wide position, which probably isn't his best, and that 
means you'd lose that cover on fullback. So, so I think it works either way. Totally. I mean, I, I don't think I don't think Tommy Rowe's been the player this season that he was last season. Mm. You know, like end of last season, he was like standout performer. Like yeah. this season, I just don't think he's reached uh, them heights. But I think it's down to the system. It's yeah. like works with cops, not so much for Rowe. So yeah, I mean, Jack, you mentioned a minute ago, spine of the team. So Butler, Gail Coppinger, Williams is the one he picked out because it's the obvious one we think. We talked about um, John Marky, Marcus, Marquis, whatever you want to call him. Um, last podcast, I won't go on to him, but obviously Williams is out injured at the moment. Certainly felt like he was missing against Colchester at home of the week, which is a game I, I, I attended and went to. And it, you could see that Mandeville, who I like and I think has got potential, and needs game time to, to find that potential. But he just wasn't on the same wavelength with Marquis as um, Williams has been. How long do Rovers stick with Mandeville, with my question, to keep that sort of strength of a spine and a, and a front two? Is it a case of we stick with Liam Mandeville until he comes good? Do you bring Alfie Beeston in, give him a run out? He's done well in the, the, the um, Tim Park Checker Trade trophy. Exc- yeah. Exciting player. Yeah, uh, great name as well. Yeah. Uh, or do you get a lone striker in, especially now that Danny Gesson's finally finally been found and ushered out the door, as it were? What, what are your thoughts? I think you, I think that's a really good point in that um, Williams is 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 definitely that centre forward rock that you sort of want other players playing off. Mm. Um, Mark is, for example, plays off these players. He picks up the scraps. You mm. know, he's a pest around the box. And um, and he certainly wouldn't be able to provide the support for 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 the young lads or the inexperienced lads who are coming in. Um, so it, it, actually, I'm I'm, ask, I'm I'm answering a question with more questions really um, because I don't have a good answer for it. Really. <laughs> uh, if you don't say that out loud, then it looks it looks better. Yeah, indeed, yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, Jim, you want to bail me out? <laughs> <laughs> have you ever considered a career in policy? <laughs> Uh, I think that we are probably one striker light. Yeah. Um, and I say that, you know, I've just, just had to think, you know, about Alfie, the beast. Mm. Um, you know, and, and wanting him to get game time. Um, but I do, yeah, I think that we are a striker light. I'd be surprised if no one came in in January. Yeah. I'm, to I'm, coin a cliche. Yeah, I'd be surprised if no one came in sooner, to be honest, in terms of a, in terms of a learning. But... Reports from those who, who haven't been boycotting the Checker Trade Trophy and have, have seen those games is that Beeston looks a, a really good prospect. Mm. Um, you know the, the clips that I've seen of him. You know you can you can see clips of good things and see eight, eight minutes of him standing in the wrong position, admittedly, but looks good, is not it? Be nice while he's got that confidence. If it's ten minutes, fifteen minutes, twenty minutes here, rather than him sitting on the bench, particularly when you know you feel that perhaps Mandeville isn't delivering as much back in terms of the chances being given at the moment. Yeah, well I think I think just give yeah, given the game time absolutely. Um it's just the question is whether again um whether we're doing them a disservice by not playing them um alongside someone uh, who's got the game time, who's yeah. got the experience like Williams and uh you know, whether that that'll uh, be a distraught to them long long run, you know? Yeah. I mean, you know, if it's a thing and it? it's uh you know, it's always nice when you you know you see that lad that breaks through. So you know, and, yeah. what, and again, Fergie said that that's what he wants to do. You know, yeah. he says about what a mess. Um, you know, this the team, the reserves were the way that you know the club mm. was settled when he came in. Like 
you know, he wants to bring those players through. And, and he has former doing that at Peterborough. He yeah, did it really well. So, I don't know. It's an interesting one. But I do think that, you know, we've got a bit of a talent there. Yeah. I, from what I said, from what I've seen, he looks good. But I I think for me, the most exciting thing about Ferguson coming in as manager was knowing that he had that sort of track record of picking these players up from, from lower down the pyramid, which I think is something that Rovers haven't done for the best part of 10 years. When you look at we picked up. I mean, the conference... Admittedly, you can only really look down then and pick the players up. But as well as making the the big money signs as they were at the time, like Jackson and Olford and things like that, the ones we did well were the players like Marbles, yeah, who you know, yeah. five grand from Sheffield Park Steels, and he was a stalwart for for three or four years. It'd be nice to see us looking that way. Do you remember the small lad at Dulwich Hamlet? And I can't remember his name, but they uh, called him something like the Turkish uh, Messi. Uh, uh, not sooner. Was he picked up by Ferguson? Because he was picked up by Peterborough, but was yeah. it under his tenure? I wanted to say yes. But yeah, he was. Yeah. It was Ferguson. Because yeah. I've said this before, my girlfriend's a Peterborough fan, and mm-hmm. we went to see Posh at Warsaw, uh, and they were getting battered, and I was sort of sat in the away end and sort of struggling not to laugh. And uh, there was a guy right at the back of the stand, uh, sort of about 20 minutes to go, and he literally just went, Turkish time! <laughs> And um, and he came and he came on and was quite good. Um, I think a bit with the recruitment at Posh, I do think a lot of it was uh, the sort of relationship that Fergie and McCampany, the chairman, yeah. had. I think that he was like he was very hands on, um, and I, I do think that was that was a big mm-hmm. part of that sort of recruitment and that scouting. Um, but I don't know. I, I still think with I'm I'm warming to him, man. I mean, yeah. like, I like. When he came in, I was like, nah, I don't know about you. I mean, it's hard because I, I detest his dad. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I hate his dad. So it's like, it's hard work. But I'm, I'm re- I am warming to him. I think that he is like, fundamentally one of us who really likes, like a lad that really likes football. Like, believes in the beauty of football. The thing is, I got that feeling about Paul Dickhoff as well. I, not like perhaps the extent, looking at your reaction there that you have Ferguson and certainly not towards the end I think Rovers got rid of Dickhoff at the right time I think he had to go then you've given him a fair chance to, to prove himself in two divisions did it you like worked. him as a player though? as a player? Yeah. no I couldn't stand him no he was horrible that's <laughs> what I mean you know what I mean like I do think that he did over time like reveal himself to be like you know an alright yeah. guy that's, that's kind of what looked like he yeah, was yeah. standing in a hole when he was interviewed <laughs> but you know, he revealed himself to be a nice guy, and whereas I just thought he was like just yeah. human garbage my, when he was a player. But yeah, no, I can agree with that. Somebody, I think my my standards of whether I like a manager are obviously quite low. Is what I've discovered right. from this. I'm In trying the, to think if have I've, I heard a nice story about him doing something good yet? Yeah, I quite like him until proven <laughs> otherwise. Look, I mean, it, if this podcast runs for a year, I'll, I'm sure I'll trot this anecdote out at least five times but <laughs> I remember watching Rovers at Millwall uh, season when we relegated from the championship and as I was coming out Dickoff was coming out oh yeah you have said this I said to him I said to him, <laughs> just withdrawn uh, I think it was nil, nils all so it's yeah. sort of like all to play for but you know going to Leicester like it's going to be a hard game I said to him I said uh, Paul do you think we'll stay up and he was like Nah, I don't know. <laughs> like it's hard, it's not really. We'll fight them on the we'll fight them on the beaches. Um, so no, I was never really sure about Paul Dickoff. Really, I'm trying to think if there's ever a Rovers manager that I have actually hated. I mean, other than like you know the the, sort of the, the roundabout 
of you know sort of ninety eight. Yeah. I hated Mark Weaver, but you know I'm trying to think if there's a another another manager I, I hated. Uh, I, I I dislike the situation around Dean Saunders. But what he left in his wake as well was yeah. was was really good, you know. So yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely. I, that was the only one that I kind of thought about. I thought maybe that's one, but actually, he left in his wake what was a very good interim manager and what was a great standard back who's who's been at the club, you know. So yeah. actually, <laughs> where is Dean Saunders now? He, he's popping up on telly quite a lot. You that, know, that's that's what yeah. he's doing. Yeah. Right, yeah. right. Right. Well, he's, he's basically spent the summer dining out on an anecdote about leaving his car in an airport when it, he could have had it at any point nipped back and moved it or got someone to right, move it. Right, So yeah. he trotted around the media on the back of that. There'll be another anecdote that he can... How do the, how do the Welsh, how do the Wales faithful view Dean Saunders? If Dean Saunders hasn't managed your club, then you think of him very fondly. Right. So if you're not a Wrexham fan, you will really like Dean Saunders because right. of him as a player for Wales. So the rest of things feel like he just sold, sold them out. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, oh, and the other one is, uh, if you watch his name, the player that he always signs, he's obviously very fond of him and has something over him. <laughs> okay. So, uh, Lee Fowler. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. So whatever, whatever Saunders is now, Lee Fowler's sitting by a phone waiting for Saunders to get a new right. job. Right. You know, I think I made a Twitter joke a few years ago when he, when Saunders signed Fowler for Crawley, wherever he ended up. You know, yeah, yeah. it's a year he's twenty twenty three. Yeah, Ballatown are losing two one at home. Dean Saunders looks to his bench. Lee Fowler <laughs> takes off his tracksuit. So if Saunders the next one to come up on this Telegraph thing, then if he's the one who's always oh, got this player that's obviously got something in his. I don't know if there, is there enough money in, in just rehiring Lee Fowler to to be. Brian. I mean, I mean, they went, they, they went after Chilino. They went, you know, how far they want to I think, go. I think episode two is early, early for us to step into the realms of Telegraph investigations. Yeah, maybe we managers. should just put a disclaimer at the end. They're not real journalists, and we can't do this properly. What the listen, what the listeners don't know is that I've just pushed the brown envelope in your direction. <laughs> yeah. Don't know what you're talking about. I just pop my pint of wine back on, back on the table here. We'll move on then at that point. Um, FA Cup is coming up. It might be the next game, depending on how long it takes me to edit this. It might be, it might be the game after next. Um, I am a big fan of the FA Cup. I, I'll go, I'll go so far as to say I love the FA Cup and get very, very excited about it every year. Got very excited about it this year, right up until the point that a Oldham were drawn out of the hat, which and then I had enough time to say this will definitely be us, and then for the third time in five years we got the same draw. I think the stages of the FA Cup for, for someone in League 2 goes something like this. You want a romantic tie, so you want a non-league team maybe, someone like a Western Supermares, nice team, someone who's an absolute, you know, we'll mm. go over there, we'll do, do them over, but it'd be a nice day out and we'll never go there again probably. Someone whose pitch has got proper yeah. drainage. Someone, so. someone who's going to like... Yeah, yeah with that caveat, yeah, okay. absolutely. And then you want a winnable tie in the second because there's, you know it gets narrowed down and then you want a big tie. And with Rovers, you're absolutely right. It's always Oldham, then Rochdale, and then out to Bury on penalties. <laughs> Every time. <laughs> I feel like it is that trajectory of... Uh, in, in, we might get, and we have in the last years, when we've been in sort of the first two rounds of draw, non-league team, often at home. I'm thinking Bradford Park Avenue, I'm thinking Stady Bridge of the year as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, then we go away to a team in our division, i.e. Oldham, basically. And if we win that, 
we go out to a mid-table championship side in the third round and that's the FA Cup done with it. I would say there are exceptions, but it feels like that's the pattern. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think it's safe to say none of us are really feeling the magic of the FA Cup with the draw at Oldham away. It's funny, well, you say that, but <laughs> my uh, my dad, my dad is from Oldham. And when I was growing up, uh, the combination of they've got a plastic pitch and they had the most amazing uh, badge until they ruined it. Oh, the owl. Oh, well, I mean, it's, it's still, still the owl, it's still an owl, but it's like a crap owl. Oh, yeah, it's like a weird, like, sort of... Uh, yeah, it's like it's sort of a Sheffield Wednesday situation. like you know, TV like, cartoon owl, isn't oh, it? Though? Rubbish. But it was amazing before that. It was just like its eyes, like, just gazing into your soul. And, like, it's the same with Chef Wed, you know, brilliant owl, rubbish owl. Then Sheffield Wednesday owl now, and whenever you're listening to this, take time to Google it, because I'm convinced it's, it is the same owl from the uh, Megan Mog cartoons. Well, I'm a, big, I'm a big fan of Megan Mog, and that's not... I should back that up by saying that I'm trying to write a kid's book at the yeah. moment, so it's a, it's a, it's a good <laughs> reference point for me. There's, there's, you know, it's not like I, it's, just, I just thought I'd revealed a lot about myself <laughs> without any context. I can read, like, full books, and I can read, like, yeah. words, you know. Uh, I kind of... I, th- I, I know where you're coming from, but it was a little, it was a little bit more... Uh, the old owl was a properly drawn owl, is what you're saying. Yeah. But, so, consequently, Oldham always carried a bit of romance for me. I I used to have... Uh, Until I went. <laughs> Until you went. <laughs> I've never been. Uh, I don't, I've, the romance has died on me over no. a period of, of 20 years. From, like you said, the plastic pitch, always interesting. Yeah. Uh, I remember having a pro set card of Earl Barrett wearing the old Bovis-sponsored kit. One of my one of my first football loves, Earl, Earl Barrett. Barrett, yeah. Great name. Yeah, no, brilliant player. Um, but I, I've never been to, have you been to Oldham, Chat? No, I've heard enough reports to uh, to, to to know to avoid yeah. it. You you said it was the coldest you've ever been at football. Is that right? No, I mean no, because oh, for me it, it's not. But because I've been to quite a lot of football in Scotland. Okay, but it's. Uh, I mean, that's what people say, isn't it? It's just because it's just because <laughs> it's missing that stand. Although they finished that now, didn't they? It, I went, I went, was it last season? I met, there was a scrap. I remember the Rovers fans was like fighting the Stewards. Oh, and again, you're going to have to narrow it down more than that. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. But it was definitely before Christmas, but, um, the stand was half done then. Yeah. Um, it's weird. It kind of gets that, uh, that kind of like coldest ground in Britain thing because it's just blatantly not true. Like, it's not, it's not the coldest ground. I mean, I say I've been to Calder, but then I've also not been to Oldham, so I can't really judge that. Right, right. Coldest I've been to is Hampton Park and Ibrox on back-to-back days in a snowstorm at Hampton Park. So actually, in the ground wasn't too bad, but leaving the ground, I had to walk back into the centre of Glasgow through a lot of snow. And then the following day at Ibrox, I, I got in a queue at the snack bar at half-time and contemplated buying two pies, one for each foot. I was, that, was that cold. <laughs> right. I, uh, I mean, I think the key works cold. I took my I took my dad to see oh, it, was, it was a championship game against Ipswich at Christmas and Rovers got beat and uh, I, I just remember sitting there just I mean I don't get cold I'm like a lizard <laughs> like just it's a thing you know what I mean like, I just don't get cold but I sat there and my, I looked at my dad he was blue you know but now yeah he, 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 he had just he had, really upset he had just he had just started sporting Ipswich I mean blue in a sort of you know Jack. Coles Ground you've ever been to? Actually, I think it was. 
Doncaster as well, but Bellevue. And also, it's sort of... I never minded it, to be honest with you, because yeah. I always used to love the part about football where you've gone in the car after and your feet were freezing and James Alexander Gorham comes on and the hot air blows out and then you've got like a, a bit of a 20-minute journey where you get all the scores yeah. in and you have a little chat. That was an all right part of the day, to be honest with you. So, and, and being cold was part of that. Oh, a lovely, lovely memory. I think that there, when I, I, I did an obituary for James Alexander Gordon and Frosty Feet was, was the opening para. Just because I, that's, how, that's how I always remembered it, was sitting in a car with Frosty Feet and in having the yeah. hot air blood onto your feet as his sort of, his, you know, yeah, dulcet voice came across. His, his voice reminds me of sitting in working men's clubs after various non-league games that my dad was involved in. <laughs> I used to, uh, I was at university in Sunderland, so I used to go with Sunderland a fair bit. And man, Sunderland's cold. You don't have cold <laughs> until you've, until you've been a student there living on baked beans watching Sunderland play. Yeah. There, there, I think that's, <laughs> that's probably enough on, on cold football. I feel like we've deviated off the FA Cup there, but the, the synopsis there is no one's that excited about Oldham. James is slightly romantic about it. It might be cold, but I'm, I'm cold not as people are going to say. I mean, I'm not going. No, I mean, you're not crazy, yeah. to be honest. Yeah. Um, I'm going to move on now to um, something that we, we mentioned in the last podcast, but never got round to discussing. And I feel like I should probably discuss it in this one. Otherwise, it's just going to, it's going to be like the AOB of, of this thing. Like, uh, we just never get around to. Um, and that's the um, greatest headed goals by Rovers players. Um, now, I muted this a while ago for a bit of backstory. I, I, in editing the print version of Popular Stand, I suggested doing a feature on greatest Rovers goals of different type. And very soon realised that it's quite hard to put that across on paper um, constantly. And the other thing I realised is that I started with head of goals, sent it out to all our contributors, not just the two of you. Um, I'm pretty much thinking, I'll get loads back. This would be great. It's a great idea for very content. And I think everyone said one of two goals. What was the other one? <laughs> well, do, you want, do you want to start with the obvious one? Well, well, I mean, well maybe it's not obvious, but... No, I mean, it is, though, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's obviously, you know, Hater at Wembley. Like. Oh, no, it wasn't that one. All right. So the, the, the main one everyone came up with was James Hater away at Watford. Start right. opening day of 2009-10 season. Right. Or maybe it wasn't you two that came up with that, going off your blank faces. Well, I, I can remember trying to do a less obvious one and searching around and, and what happened was that I had to build the game into something that it wasn't <laughs> in order to match something like the first game at Watford or, or yeah, Wembley, yeah, yeah. you know? Well, I, was, I was looking for just purely, not like the significance of it, but just the header itself as, I, as a great goal. Well, just, that would be com- hard to convey on paper in your, yeah. your defence, yeah. <laughs> I, it's hard to convey to, into a microphone now. Yeah. But. I, just, I just don't know whether I... I don't really know whether that's how football works for me, really. Like, you know, like you say, just there, Jack, about, you know, you've almost, like, had to sort of re, like, reimagine a game as, as being more important than it actually, actually is. I can't, I can't really... You can't separate the goal from the game. I was thinking, well, I guess that, you know, you know when, um, you know when Billy Sharp scored that screamer after his, the tragedy with his yeah. kid? I remember that goal, mm. you know, and it was an amazing goal. But I remember that goal because of the context. Yeah, no, you that's, know? that's fair. That's and I think that, you know, I, I can see, like, Hayter's goal in my head at Wembley. Mm. And I don't know whether technically it was the soundest goal ever, but, I, you know, I remember throwing my fish and chips up in the air and going nuts, you know what I mean? <laughs> so I, d- I can't really, 
I think that's I think that's how I view goals, yeah. you know, like what what was the context, you know? I feel like we probably should have this conversation before I set out this idea as a feature. <laughs> well, I, what what I'm more interested in is just because you are really into this. No, I'm not. I, I just, you are. I really, just think you tried I'm to get it to two podcasts. There's been a group, there's been a group email. I just thought it was a good idea. Obviously, we should. Have, well, I'm going to throw these out anyway. I'm What's your favourite headed goal ever? Don't have to be Rose. No, don't have to be Rose. Oh, now you put me on the spot because I've only thought in context. Well, we can drag we can drag it over to next week. All right, then I'll think next about time, it for next, next week. Time. Optimistic. Um, Rovers. Then I come up with. Five contenders. Right. And I feel like I know which one you're going to go for after this discussion. But obviously, haters, goal, header at Wembley. I mean, they're pretty much all James Hayter. <laughs> three, three out of the five are, which says a lot about him as a player or anything else. James Hayter against Leeds at Wembley. Uh, opening game of season 2009-10 against Watford. So, a looping header from outside the box, which the physics of which always amaze me, that you can head the ball 20 yards on target. Um, diving header by James Hayter away at Hartlepool which was a proper Roy the Rovers-esque header, where literally the cross comes in, there's no sign of James Hayter until he comes sort of horizontal into view and meets it, you know, without the fear of smashing into that weird uh, dry stone wall they've got behind the goal. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they're the three hater ones. Now I've got Paul Heffernan's second goal at Forest on Boxing Day, 2008-9. It was when Rovers were bottom of the league. And the goal everyone remembers is the one, the first or second one, where Rovers trying to get about 30 passes and Martin Woods lobbed the keeper. But Heffern has scored a diving header from all of about six inches off the ground, where heading seemed the last possible thing to do. Like someone else had a shot, it was blocked on the line, header followed, Heffern followed up with a diving header, all of about six inches off the ground. Jack, you're nodding. James, you're looking like, I've just invented this right now. I'm no, look, keep, keep going. All right. I'm, I'm... And the, you're just weighing up your decision. Well, no, well, there's only two of them I remember. <laughs> <laughs> the other one, fifth one, Paul Green, home to Cambridge, they were secured promotion from Division 3, first season back in the league. Cross from Mulligan from the right, another diving header at the near post that was blow enough to volley in. See, I just can't help thinking there needs to be a Leo Fortune West goal over here. I can't help thinking that... But I, I, I can't remember any Leo Fortune West header that, that wasn't sort of... You know, that you didn't think... That's got to go in anyway. I didn't sort of just bounce. So what, I felt like they all bounced off him rather than he headed them. Yeah. In my memory. <clears throat> I, I feel like I've done him a massive disservice. Um, but. I th- you know, like the best free kicks, right? The best free yeah. kicks are like, it has to be raining. And it has, <laughs> it has to go in off the crossbar and yeah. the rain has to fall down. Yeah. Right? Fair enough. I'm trying to think what is the criteria for a great header. Yeah. So maybe it's diving header. <laughs> Is a diving header head? Well, header head or or the person heading it has to be wearing a headband from a previous head head injury. Mighty Baudry, it's about it's waiting to happen. I think love, anything, love a anything outside the box though would be, I mean, that's spectacular. Yeah, can you agree on that at least? I don't know. Football's supposed to be played on the ground, not in the sky. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just not sure. I'm not sure. Right. I always think. I mean, the, the, for me, the, the winner would always be like the, the, the sort of the salmon sort of header, yeah. you know, where, where where it's sort of your arch back and you and your your body propels the the ball off your head into the goal. So I that's, love that that's sort of hate it, isn't it? Really? Yeah, and and obviously it is impossible for me to sort of take out the context from the from the goal as well, which sort okay. of is is why. So I've, I've I've made a lot of mental notes. So for podcast three. 
I will bring context into play <laughs> on another topic. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm interested. Anyway, those of you listening, whatever you're listening, um, let us know. Tweet at Viva Rovers with your thoughts on the greatest Rovers header, whether we should even consider a header that out of context of the game it's in. I'm gonna go. I mean, I'm gonna go back and watch these uh, if they right. if I can find them on YouTube. I'll, I'll send you links because I think I found them all. And find a, find a Leo one as well if if it's such yeah, a thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although I was never a big fan of Leo, to be honest with you. Right, I'm, I'm on that bombshell. I'm ending this yeah. right right there. That's my that's my hero. You're talking about that one's keeping our spotted column in business. Every issue. Just in my defence, that was back in the day. I always thought it was a bit lazy, but that was in the back in the day when I was young enough and naive enough. Not to know that strikers are inherently lazy, and uh, and that he, he, he was just the finest exponent <laughs> of that art. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. so, a hero. Um, <laughs> there, now we've pulled Leo Fortune West a hero. I feel like I'm drawing it, so we'll, we'll we'll leave it there. And um, like I said, if you've got any thoughts on on this podcast in particular, particularly the head of goal, we'll try and just just to satisfy me over these two more than anything. Um, let us know. Tweet at Viva is probably the best way to get in touch with us. Get us get your thoughts. Let us know what you thought about the podcast as well, and we'll continue to endeavour. Uh, with this idea and hopefully we'll bring you an episode three next month when I'm assuming we'll have all been to another game absolutely yeah. Ste- Stephen is away on a Tuesday night is looking the most likely for all of us surely yeah I mean I'm there, I'm there I'm there so we'll, we'll be back with you uh, probably end of November we'll make it after that Stephen is game for some more more informed comment I suppose is probably sensible rather than talking about games five weeks ago uh, so thanks again for listening and uh, we'll be with you again next month <laughs>